Welcome back to another edition of the Hooper's Almanac. On today's episode, we will be talking about the All-Star Game. No, we won't, actually. I'm joking. That's terrible. Um, We're going to be focusing on the second half of the NBA regular season. Now that we've kind of been able to take a breath, not worry about watching basketball over the All-Star Game, All-Star break. um, Now we're just trying to think of going into the playoffs, what teams are bound to kind of take a jump and, and hit the ground running in the playoffs, or what teams might you know, start to slide uh, and go into the playoffs a little bit lackluster, or maybe even miss the playoffs. So kind of going to talk about the second half teams and some 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 teams that we think are going to be notable. So that's the pod today. Before we get going, let's bring in our friends from Green Top. back mitch uh all-star break not as exciting as we thought as if that was even possible like somehow it still was below expectations um which is why we're devoting absolutely zero minutes and hours of our time to discussing that other than the time i'm spending right now um but a minute I feel yeah, like we've hit a minute <laughs> yeah how was your uh how was your time away from basketball it's been kind of like a holiday you know what i I described this weekend as this past week as my getaway from the NBA, and unfortunately, my fiance realized, hey, there's no basketball on, so we should hang out more. I was like, darn, it's it. I was texting Evan about this. Like Rachel had no idea that the NBA was like in an all star break right now, and so she just thought, hey, this is like he's spending more time with me. And not not, not only does she realize that the there will be no NBA game. I mean, there will be no nights off of the NBA until June. So just once we hit this last stretch of the year, it gets kind of crazy. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I, I hope you hope you satiated that hunger because uh, we are about to hit, as you said, the, a tough time uh, where, you know, there's it's a tough spot for us to be in because this isn't our our nine to five. We can't no. claim a Bill Simmons or whoever and say, you know, I'm doing I'm doing this for the paycheck. I'm doing this for the good of the family. Now, this is pure love of the game pure extracurricular activity so it's it's a little tough to rationalize but i'm glad that it seems like both of our both of our significant others are generally pretty uh lenient with this stuff so but it's gonna it's gonna get to crunch time here it's it's gonna get it's gonna get it's gonna be it's gonna be tough and i i appreciate the patience that both madison and Susanna have with us as we continue on because this is going to be yeah like you said it's kind of crunch time I feel like this next month, it usually slows down a little bit, but it's like once April hits, like the last week or two of the regular season and everything's trying to get, is getting all set up, it's for the playoffs, it is go time. And I, that's kind of what we're talking about now. But like the team that we're kind of going to be talking about today is like the teams that we want to watch and like as we get prepared for playoffs, like what teams do we want to be like more knowledgeable about, but also like what do we want to be like more realistic about? And so – I feel like that's what this this whole episode is going to be about, and I feel like that's and I'm really excited just to talk about these few teams. Yeah, I mean, we had the trade deadline. Obviously, you know, now that we have a great picture of these teams, it's a little bit easier to predict. All right, we have an understanding of the them about two thirds two thirds of the way through the season. We have an understanding of what their complete roster is. 
we have an understanding of the teams around them. How do we think they're going to match up? And now you can clearly tell like remaining strength of schedule that actually matters. Whereas mm-hmm. preseason strength of schedule, you don't know what any team's going to be like. So that's a useless metric. But yeah. now like strength of schedule is actually valid and interesting to look at. So that's obviously like a huge seeding implication. So lots to talk about. I mean, really, it's going to, as you said, Mitch, going to be focused on what teams we think are going to really rise or fall in the second half. Uh, and teams were excited to watch and, and see, um, you know, if we're wrong or right on them. What's funny to me is that none of these four teams made a deal at a deadline. Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's that, and that, and it might solidify some thoughts we have on them too, whether or not we like, whether or not we like them or not. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to get into it. We're going to kind of we have two teams in the east, two teams in the west that we're going to talk about. Um, Two of the the two East teams are on the east in the Eastern time zone. The West one of the West team is Central time zone, and the other one's Pacific time. So it's also just like kind of perfect. Like these are teams that we can be watching like syst- like systematically throughout the night, like or periodically throughout the night. Like I can devote my most of my night to these two Eastern conference teams, and I will be if this in the two Western conference teams, I can devote the the lat- latter part of my evenings too. So it's kind of well perfect and planned out a little bit. Just looking ahead as we as the games start, we're recording this on Wednesday night as games start back up tomorrow. It's right. going to be great. And yeah, spoiler alert, because we're talking about teams that Mitch is excited to watch, the Indiana Pacers will not be discussed in this podcast because Mitch, you, st- you still can't watch the Pacers? Is, is that a thing? Aaron Carter, I have figured it out. Literally oh, the good. last week before All-Star break, Susano wanted to, oh, we were trying to watch the Blues game. And I'm like, screw it. I got to get this figured out. And I figured it out. I it was Bally was being an annoying little bitch, and so we just had to, we had to put her in her place, and it, it worked out. No, we just I just signed up. I there was an extra step that I never had to do before this year, and I just was being arrogant and um, a little bit what's the word for it um, stubborn, and I just didn't want to do it. There you go. So we got to figure it out. Well, glad to hear that because they are, I think, going to hit their stride, even though we won't be talking about them this year. This podcast, as long as Halliburton is healthy, I think, you know, they should stay outside of that plan. But one team kind of in their sphere, Mitch, that I want to start with out in the Eastern Conference is the Orlando Magic. Yeah, this is a team right now. They're sitting at the eight seed in what is basically just a really, really tight Eastern Conference everywhere from even honestly three to eight is like. There's a lot of mobility there. Now, I would be shocked if the Milwaukee Bucks fall. But, you know, there is quite a bit of movement there. It's only four and a half games separating um, those teams. So really, really close together. And the great thing that the Magic are in right now, the Pacers, even though I just mentioned, I think they might have a good second half. Halliburton's not necessarily 100% healthy. We obviously know the situation with the Sixers and Joel Embiid. They've already taken a huge dip since he's been hurt. That should continue to happen until he comes back. Um, and then the Miami Heat have been, you know, very average and, and injured as well. So I think there could be an opportunity in, in a perfect world, probably for Orlando to like jump up to the five. I don't see them passing the Knicks and the Bucks, but um, I just I I'm really in on the magic right now. They survived a huge amount of time in the regular season without Franz Wagner. They're back healthy. Um, Fultz is back healthy. They are truly just full force. Um, so I I'm I'm a big fan of the magic right now, and I think that they could uh, they could really make a rise here in the standings in the second half. 
Yeah, Franz is out eight games, I think. Nine or, I mean, eight, ten games. Felt um, like a long time for it them. It did though. feel like a long time. But it was like that beginning part. It was it was that Christmas break portion. Like you're, it was right after Christmas yep. and like that beginning part of January we were missing Franz. And so, you know, Franz and Paolo are just such a great one and two, especially at their age. And, you know, I think people equate – one of my – Favorite theories is that the in the NBA is that two wings can win you or are more likely to win you a title than two guards are, um, and I think it's it's tough to look at that because you look you know you look at the recent history it's never been there's only the only time where two wings have led a team to a championship was the Milwaukee Bucks team with Middleton and Giannis and so it's and you know you look at the teams that have like two wings kind of leading their teams you're looking at the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. You're looking at the Celtics with Jalen and Jason. Two teams that are in the top half of their of their conferences, or definitely the top. I mean, in the top three of their conferences. And so, I definitely believe that these two, if they continue to play together, have that opportunity to be that kind of pair for the Magic, which it, it's high praise. Just even say that because they were playing so well at the beginning of the year. What makes this team so good is their defense. I mean, they're a top five defensive team. Um, and my favorite part about them is that they win the game that they should. They're 16-5 against teams below 500. Great stat there. And then also, they're almost 500. They're 14-20 they're and 20 against teams below, I mean, above 500. So it's just like they are doing a great job of beating the teams that they should. And they're staying close in the games that are against the good teams in the NBA. So... It's what I like about them. There's a lot of things. I mean, I'll, I'll let you talk next because I still have some things that worry me, but I'm going to let you just roll with it here. I mean, super high praise from you, from Franz and Paolo, the comp to, to Giannis and Middleton. I well, mean, I'm just saying that like those are the t- – I mean, that's the only pair of wings that's ever won a title. Like, I mean, before the Celtics do it this year with Jalen and Jason. Um, but, no, I think that there's this – well, I mean, there I don't know this- if Giannis is a wing, right? I mean, I don't even know if Paolo's a wing. He's kind of Giannis, especially, is a big who's super yeah. athletic, and, and Paolo maybe, and- is, I mean, just a, su- a super athletic four too. And maybe that's more my point. There is that there's a similar combination with those two. The difference is Paolo can at least shoot threes, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and I'll, I'll get into my bull crap about other things about them, but like. One thing that makes them so good is that defense. What makes them so tough to watch a lot of times is that offense, which that's yeah. what I'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, I, I'd i say this team, these those two guys have the potential of being the one of the best wing duos I mean, we see in a while. I mean, I kind of see a little Boston Celtics in them with the yeah. Apollo, the KG comp, and then Franz and the Paul Pierce role. I think they are truly missing a Ray Allen. They need shooting so bad. And they need the point guard of the future too, really. I mean, in the Rondo role for them, if you're making the continuing the Celtics comparison, <laughs> it's just the shooting is the number one need. I think they have enough guys as it stands right now to like clump together decent point guard minutes. You have Fultz when he's healthy. Uh, Cole Anthony is okay in certain spots. Suggs can come in and play the one. I mean, Franz is obviously very capable of being the facilitator and bringing the ball up. Yeah. Um, Eat Ingles, uh, h- however long they're going to have Joe Ingles on the floor. So, like, they're making it, the ball. Yeah, they're making it work, but there's, I think they're still missing their, their floor general, not named Franz Wagner. And then they're missing just shooting around that. 
I think they have pretty much everything else, which is crazy. I mean, we loved this team last year. I think we were higher on them and thought they might be making this sort of jump last year. Yeah. It was just, it was a little too soon for Paulo, but this year he's been so good and there's been a lot of weight on his shoulders. And even this has been with Franz, like kind of having a down year shooting wise. Mm-hmm. Um, he has not shot the ball. Well, only 30 shot, shot it better recently though. It's been right. the last two months, ever since he's been back from his injury, it's looked a little bit more like last year, which has been good. They need, they need someone to be shooting threes because they shoot yeah. the fourth least amount of threes in the NBA, Aaron. Yeah, that's not surprising. The, the only two, the only three teams that shoot less, the Nuggets on that list, and then uh, the Pistons, not really people you want to be with, and the Lakers. Which yeah. is crazy that. Yeah, the Lakers are a, a, a team that struggles, but the Nuggets have always frustrated me of like being a good three point shooting team, but they just they refuse to take bad shots. So it's like, well, I guess I'd rather have that problem than the opposite. But it's still frustrating as hell when like last year, especially we were like top two in three point percentage uh, and bottom five in three point attempts. This year, we've kind of Nuggets have kind of come back down to earth middle of the pack in percentage. But uh, yeah, the Orlando shooting point guard, very clear needs. But they I mean, they have depth at center. Paulo, I think, is on great track to be your number one guy. I think he's proven that to you. Franz is a very capable number two, yeah. uh, can be number one in big spots even for you. I think sometimes their late game offense is better through Franz. Um, so it's it's awesome that they just have such a young duo like you talked about. Early Giannis, early Chris Middleton is not a terrible comp. My worry, so you talk about late game offense. And that's what this team like sucks at, though. Like it's like yep. they, it's so predictable, incredibly predictable. It's either one of it's a two man game between Franz and Paolo, or it's just one of those two guys trying to do some ISO ball. Um, and what sucks is that this team, like I said, their defense is great. I want to say that I, I know it's top five, maybe I think it's number four um, in the league right now, per, like a defensive rating. Number but four, yeah, yeah. But their offensive rating and then their pace are 24th in the NBA. Miserable. No fun to watch. And that's what sucks because it becomes predictable at the end. And even if they're getting close games and if they're getting fouled, they go to the line and they can't make them. It is the most frustrating. frustrating. (laughs) It is so frustrating to watch this team shoot free throws because I think they make it to the line the most and then have like a bottom three free throw percentage. They they, They shoot the second most free throws behind the Lakers and then they have a bottom three free throw percentage. That is miserable. <laughs> miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they like, uh, yeah, the Lakers, the Lakers are pretty bad, honestly. Now looking up, I didn't realize they were this bad percentage wise. Oh, Lakers, it's h- hilarious how yeah. rigged the Lakers games are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've fallen down at least a little. I think now, like, they're number six in free throw attempts, it looks like, but they're not great. They're below 80% as well. Uh, by a good margin from the free throw line. But yeah, Orlando, I've watched way too many games pulling my hair out with Orlando at the free throw line. Um, and Powell doesn't about, help it. That's the thing. Like Powell's under 70% from the free throw line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he'll get better. The fact that his outside shot and mid range has come along so much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm promised a promising look about that. I mean, I don't think he's like an Evan Mobley by any means. He's proven he can hit shots. So I, I feel okay about that going forward. But yeah, this year, that's obviously, it's going to be a huge test in the playoffs, right? Um, when they're going yeah. up against more than likely a veteran team uh, in the higher seeds. 
one of those top four teams that are cur- currently at the are Knicks, Bucks, Cavs, one of those guys probably, maybe even Celtics. It's just it's a tough matchup when all those teams pretty much, save for maybe the Knicks and Cavs on certain nights, can hit threes. They have yeah. vets uh, to handle the ball in, in big moments. I mean, I know we talked about last podcast, like the teams we don't want to play, and we talked about how the Bucks are vulnerable and a team like the Magic could beat them. I think Paulo has to play out of his fucking mind for them oh, to beat the Bucks, yeah. and that's possible. But he has to average like thirty over thirty. Franz has to be twenty four, twenty five, insane and efficiency. Need, and you need like a different guard to go off each night because that's the thing that I, yep. thought, I I also had written down was the myriad of guys that can go off any night is crazy. Like it could be Wendell Carter going for twenty and ten in the night. It could be Suggs being an absolute annoying pest. Um, on defense, but also hitting like four big threes. Um, it's it. What sucks is that the difference in the game is going to come down to how many threes did they make compared to the other team. That's why the Knicks is like kind of a fun matchup for them because the Knicks don't. If I remember correctly, the Knicks don't shoot that many threes either. Um, and then, but like yeah, the Celtics and the Bucks. It's like you're kind of screwed if you go up against either of those teams. Um, because if like if they get hot, that it's done. It sucks because that's what their whole yep. offense is based around. So, I mean, it's yeah. Celtics shoot forty two, almost forty three threes a game. Jesus. Yeah, by far, by far the number one, number one I clip. I mean, the Magic, as you said, they defend the three really, really well. Yes, which is where a super overextended three point shooting team, if you're off, you know, it, it poses danger because you can't drive to the rim very well on this team either. Uh, and I, I do like the amount of bodies that Orlando can throw at you off the bench with Jonathan Isaac, like coming into his role. I mean, he's basically a zero offensively. Um, he tries but, to be a three and D guy sometimes <laughs> and it's miserable, but what he can do is, and what he can do though, is he can be a body just to throw at Giannis. And that's the difference right there. He's yeah. one of the best defensive players in the NBA because of how strong he is, how lanky he is, and how smart he is on defense. Not smart in his out off the basketball court antics, but you know, we, <laughs> we leave that to the people to decide. Um, but no, I think that's what makes him such an X factor in the series too, is it's just like you have a guy who you could throw at Giannis and that's what any team needs to have. This team remind this magic team reminds me of like the late 2010 Celtics. Like you have two guys you're really trusting in. You have a big who can stretch the four, like in Al Horford slash Daniel Tice. If you really wanted to call that, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make Wendell Carter comparable. to Daniel <laughs> Tice. And then like scrappy guards and wings who can like come in behind and like just fill in the roles. It's not going to win you a title, but it's going to get you in the playoffs, and that's what's necessary, especially in how talented this league is right now. Totally. And the great thing about for the Magic, they have the easiest strength of schedule. Say it, right? Call remaining, and one thing we haven't talked about: the easiest strength of schedule by a wide margin. They play the bottom four teams in the East eight times out of their (laughs) remaining twenty-seven games. and they and they play like the teams around them. They play. They have a game left on the Sixers, a game next on the against the Knicks, two against the Bucks, game against the Cavs. Like there are going to be some test games for them as well to kind of see where they're at in the West, and th- they will show up for those games. That's been proven. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, having the eight game against the bottom, <laughs> the bottom, the basement of the East is is quite nice. So that's in their favor. Not to mention everything I led with, which are all the injuries of the teams directly above them. 
what makes it great too is they have a lot of and so I mean four of those eight games against teams in their division that makes it so much more of a difference too. They have a lot of divisional games left. I mean whether it's against the Hawks, uh, which are very beatable, whether it's against I mean any of the different teams in that Southeast division, which makes me curious just to see how they'll play. Um, but yeah, I mean eight games against the bottom teams in the in the East plus some. A Trailblazers and a Grizzlies game in there when the Grizzlies are no longer trying. The Blazers are just trying to figure out what the heck they have. It's very interesting, but you're right. The difference between them and the next and the next team when it comes to strength of schedule is crazy. And so that's what makes me excited about this team, just like coming down the stretch, like positioning themselves. That's why I kind of looked at them like I was worried about my like when we re-tiered, like I had said they're probably gonna fit in that sixth spot. Uh, be that last team that makes the playoffs without having to go into the play-in. This strength of schedule at the end of the year kind of confirms that for me. I think it, you're right. There's some tests in there. But one of the things I mentioned earlier, they beat the teams they need. To, they, they're supposed to. They're 16 and five against those kind of teams that are in the bottom half of the league. So um, makes it a lot more interesting when they're playing this well. But it also makes sense how many teams they've played above 500 at this point too. So I mean, but and it's 34 games against the teams above and 21 against the teams below. So it'll be interesting. Do you think the Magic jump the Heat and win the division? So that was one thing I was looking at today. Because, what, the Heat Heat have a – don't they have like a tough schedule left? I mean, it's in the middle of the road. Heat have the a fourth easiest schedule, and they play the bottom of the East oh, yeah. uh, a good amount of times as well. <laughs> uh, seven times, it looks like. Three against the Pistons, which isn't bad. Um, yeah, I would say it's pretty even. I, it, it is even, but the thing is, they're also even right now in the standings. They're literally both the same record. Um, yep. I think it's a possibility that they jump them in the Pacers. I think in the Pacers, I feel like they're th- those two teams are heading in the right direction. However, like you said, Halliburton's still not fully healthy. You're still trying to figure out what you are without when you lose Heald. Um, it it there is some and. You're trying to figure out what the heck you have with this team still. So I still am in favor of the Pacers making the playoffs, but I, I worry about them holding on. And that's why I like the Magic to win the division for the first time in God knows when since – I mean, it's been so long. I think it, it has to have been since Dwight was there. Yeah. That was has to have been. Um, I've been to that, what, 2011 maybe would have been? No, 2010 because that was before the Heat. Mm-hmm. You know, got LeBron. Yeah, 2010, they made the Eastern Conference Finals, I think, or was that nine? Oh, like, 2009, know? they made the finals, but it right. was 2011 that, you know, LeBron joined the Southeast Division, and so then that was just, like, over after that. Yeah, that was over. Oh, uh, they are plus 120 to win the division right now. Uh, Miami is favored. Hmm. Uh, also, if you want to get tricky, you think they're going to make it out of the play-in. Orlando to get the sixth seed, plus 295, which is almost a, the same ticket as them to win the division, except at crazy odds, I would think. Because I would be shocked if then Miami beats them out for the five, like as a five seed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Aaron, or something, or if Orlando goes all the way up to a five, that would yeah, that would be surprising. All I need them to do is to win ten games for my. I, I need them, the Pacers, and the Timberwolves to all win ten games. Of, I mean, win forty games, and my parlay hits. So Timberwolves are a game away. Pacers are nine away. Magic are ten away. I'm feeling good. 
I'm feeling good. You should. I'm, I'm with you with you on the Pacers. I'm feeling great about that one. Um, also, my Sixers under is just screaming at me as long as Embiid is out. It is yeah. it is it is kicking me in the tail. Forty seven and a half on that under. I got I got I got I got to really hope there for that one. Yeah, you got you got a little lucky with the Embiid injury, but uh, it's still going to be tight. Yeah, so be tight. this is this Anyways. is why we love the game of basketball. Um, do you want to hit the other East team while we're out yeah. here? Yeah, let's hit the other East team. So, East team, what the? The other East team is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, talk about a team that revitalized itself when injuries happened. Like, totally changed perspective of how people felt about them. Kind of had a slow start to the year. Garland and Mobley both get hurt, miss a bunch of time. And then Donovan Mitchell and, John, and Jared Allen, and then the randomness of the wings on this team just go crazy. I mean, John, I mean Donovan Mitchell is having an all-NBA season, it seems like, at this point. Um, that's the other thing I did mention with Powell. Another guy who's having an all NBA season. And then um uh I mean Mitchell's averaging twenty-eight, five, and six. And one of the greatest things is since Garland and Mobley returned, Garland they're eight and one went since Garland's return and nine and one since Mobley's return. They haven't lost a step since those guys have been back. My only issue is they've played the easiest part of their schedule while those two guys were out. They're right in the middle of the pack. With remaining schedule, they have fifteen. They're in fifth, literally fifteenth of the strength of schedule left. I think they can hold on, but I what I am looking forward to seeing is how well where do they end up at the end of the year? Because I still think they can end up in that top three, which was my prediction at the beginning of the year that they were going to still. I mean, I had the Celtics, the Bucks, and then them as that third spot. I've changed my I changed my tune at the retiering, but even still, this team has like come has come up clutch for me a little bit in my preseason thoughts. Yeah, they've turned it around. I mean, it, it's hard to tell whether or not this was a, combina- a combination or a single factor of health and schedule. It seems like it was a little of both. I I, I think we had listed this team in a, a, as one of the team's last podcast, Mitch, that we would not avoid in the first round. Could be could be a little vulnerable um, to a lower seed. Right. It just Donovan Mitchell has been on an absolute tear. Uh, 28.4 points per game. He's had some massive games. He carried the load while Garland was out. Um, and Jared Allen was also huge when Mobley was out. And now they've kind of been able to go back to their previous form. It's just, I think this team is just kind of, the, at the end of the day, very similar to how they were last year. Mm-hmm. I, I do like the additions of Struess. Um, and I think Niang is, is, as annoying as he is, like a valuable playoff guy if he's hot. Yeah. Sam Merrill has really come on as a shooter. So, like, they've added a lot of valuable shooting. Um, but they still are bottom 10 in three-point percentage. They're bottom 10 in three-point attempts per game. What The issues they were running into against the Knicks in round one last year, I think, yeah. still persist unless Donovan Mitchell is a stud. And we've seen two playoffs in a row, unfortunately. Donovan really has kind of fallen short. Um whether that was injuries, great defensive scheme, bad timing, whatever. I mean, the end of the end of his Utah experience, I'm sure he wasn't feeling the best motivationally. And then last year could have been a fluke. Who knows? Uh, Tibbs is a tough, tough coach to go up against in the playoffs. And the Knicks have a really smart, good defense. So, you know, I'm not going to hold that against him. I'm just flagging that it is, it has happened. And when they are overextended on Mitchell, like they are, uh, that creates bigger issues. So, I, I would I would say this team probably doesn't stick on the two line. 
you know, it's not for lack uh, <laughs> a huge trust in the Bucks. I, I just don't think this team is as good as they've been the last month or so. Last two months, really. I mean, since the new year. I think there's a ceiling with Donovan Mitchell. I think if Donovan Mitchell is your number one guy on a team, I think there's a ceiling with him. And that's what worries me a little bit. Um, we saw with those Jazz teams, even when they were like a top seed and uh, whenever he was their leader, tops out at that second round, it feels like. Um, and so that's what worries me uh, with this team. And again, I will say, I will beat it like it's a dead drum, but I do not look, I have looked at the history. There has never been a team whether it's been the, your two star players or two guards, and there has been success. I don't count Clay as a guard. I count Clay as a wing because he barely, he literally had 50 something points on 14 dribbles. Congratulations to him. But like Steph Curry is the one guard on that team, it's felt like. But, and that's what worries me about this Cavs team. They have the perfect group of wings defensive, hard-nosed wings that can go out and play. You, you mentioned Niang, you mentioned Struess and Merrill. Coro's having his best shooting season he's ever had, uh, efficiency-wise, except for the free throws, which I love. Does anyone know how to make free throws anymore? Has everyone just given up on that? Um, and the thing that makes them still so good is their ability to create offense off of defense. They're the number two defensive rating team uh, in the league. And so it just makes – it makes it easier for them to go crazy um, on offense whenever their defense is just stepping up on the other end. It make it, but you're right. When it becomes too Donovan Mitchell dependent, or even Garland dependent, and it becomes the meet your turn, my turn kind of thing, it is so frustrating to watch, and it's so yeah. frustrating because it's so predictable. You 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 just throw, you just switch on, you switch your best defender onto those guys. You just play defense that's built for that. And you're good to go because. ISO ball at the end of the day doesn't only win, doesn't win you a title. It, it doesn't get you out of the first round. Yeah, yeah, they're in, they're in an interesting scenario where we really just got a seed in the playoffs. This uh, this has been a great story for them, losing only a handful of games so far in the new year. Right, and we we thought that you know JB Bickerstaff was on the way out for sure after the the twenty twenty three start. Um, and their expectations coming into the season. They've righted that ship, but it's really just, it all depends on the playoffs. So I don't think they've necessarily, safe to say, sound like have won over our trust with their recent no. play. Um, where do you think they fall if they fall in the East? It's still in that top half. It's still yeah. in that top half of three or four because I think if New York gets healthy, when New York gets healthy, they're going to be tough to beat. Um, you're going to, you have some time with Ananobi out and Randall out so that, you might be able to hold on to that number three spot if you're the Cavs. It, 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 but there's no shot they move up. There's no way the Celtics are losing to one seed this year. And then there's, but to me, it is going to be Bucks and Cavs just kind of interchangeable because the Cavs also have, I think, the most games left of anyone. They, they, there are a few games they have, a, I feel like they've got a few back to backs. Then the Clippers, um, I believe, have, and the Warriors um, have the most games left. So it's uh, with 29 games left. So yep. everyone's under 30 games at this point. It's just how are they going to finish the year? And let me double check this because I want to say the Cavs still like the Magic when the games are supposed to. Like it's pretty impressive just to watch them win. I mean, and they're all, but the issue is like they're always, it seems they find themselves always in close games. Here you and go, Mitch. 
19 and 3 against teams under 500. I have 17 and 2. 17 and 14 against teams over 500. Am I? So they, if my math is right, they've lost three games against teams under 500 all year. And the lion's share of their wins have come against teams under 500. So they absolute, absolutely blow out the bad teams. They yeah. roll. But they're basically a, a slightly above average team against above 500 teams. And apparently I'm wrong because apparently they can win clutch games. I mean, they're 16 and 3 in games under three, three points or less. And then they win and they're 19 and 7. But like you said, it seems like a lot of those games are coming against the teams below 500. So yep. it's, it's, I want to like them, Aaron. There's, there's likable guys on this team. But I feel like Donovan Mitchell is the, you know, there's that heliocentric basketball. I mean, that, I mean, the heliocentric systems that people play. Am I wrong to say that Donovan Mitchell might be like the bottom guy who you would want, like, of like the stars in the NBA? Would he be like one of the last guys you want to have run the heliocentric game? I mean, he's not a he's not a Luca if if that's your. And asking. he's not like what he's Harden not, was for the Rockets, and it's not like he's. Yeah. I guess it comes down to would rather have him or Trey. I I just I think Donovan is like Dwayne Wade without the defense. Um, yeah, that's his game to me with the better shooter. On the outside, like I think his offensive game is so awesome. He's slasher, super athletic. He can shoot the shit out of the ball now. Um, like coming out of college out of Louisville, I did not expect him to be this at all. So he is an amazing success story. I think he has an argument to be probably second team All NBA. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's it's he's not the caliber of Luca. He's not the caliber of of Jokic, Giannis. I think he's like a Devin Booker type, except without the help of a Kevin Durant and a Bradley Beal. Like that's that's kind of the plane he's on. So it's 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 a tough situation. I think I I, I I'm hopeful. I want to like this team. I want to believe in this team, but it just it just seems like they're uh, despite this run that they are and the great record that it looks like on paper. It seems like they kind of are just still that same Cavs team they were last year, which was a very impressive team last year, right? We didn't expect it from them last year, but this year we expected them to maybe go above and beyond and uh, at least make up for their playoff run. And uh, I think that will only be decided by their performance in in May and April. Yeah, they sure as heck haven't proved it to us, and that's what kind of just sucks. We just haven't seen that next level, that next jump that you're expecting from them, especially with the what was supposed to be an upgrade in talent um, surrounding them. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the two Western Conference teams. Uh, we'll be right back. We are back. Um, the two teams in the West we want to talk about. Both teams we have loves for. Um, two teams that we both love just – watching um but we're just very curious as to kind of where we see the end of the year the first thing we're going to talk about is the new orleans pelicans currently sitting fifth in the western conference 33 and 22 one of the just deepest teams that you have right now in the playoffs like the depth of this uh, the many different 
ways that this team can play, whether it be on offense or defense, just the many different lineups you can throw out there and feel comfortable that good things are going to happen is incredible. And that's what makes this team so interesting to watch. And that's why I think Aaron loves them. That's why I have started to enjoy watching them. I will not have the soft boner that Aaron has for them as I, but their defense is great. Number seven, top uh, number seven in defensive rating. And they have one of the things I have thought about for all four of these teams is they have a two man game. They have two guys that you can trust to probably get you a bucket at the end of the game in Zion and Ingram. And they also have CJ if you need him to go get you a bucket too. So, uh, that's what makes this team so much fun to watch. Aaron, what are your thoughts as we get into like the last th- less than 30 games for the Pelicans uh, with this, se- this season? I think they need to figure out their hierarchy. Yes. Uh, within Ingram and Zion. And I think we need to see what Zion has in the tank uh, because there have just been too many nights where Zion is half-assing it uh, or he just he just doesn't care when he's off ball in offense, hmm. and he doesn't care when he's off ball in defense, which is like a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, and even sometimes on ball defense, he he'll like put up some effort, but if they go by him, he's just it's it's done. He's great in transition. He grabs a rebound. He gets out in transition. He's he's actually become a decent facilitator in the half court. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes he gets credits for assists that just aren't really that difficult. He's just swinging it to an open guy in the three. Yeah. Um. But in transition, I think he is a good passer. He's proven to be a good lob passer even, which is crazy at his size. Yeah. And he's still awesome driving to the rim. But it's just it's just not consistent uh, where I think they do need to cede that late game role to Ingram more. Uh, and they just haven't had a whole lot of close games, to be honest, that I've watched because oftentimes they're blowing out these bad teams at home and then they're a lot of times losing big leads uh, in the second half, if they do have it against a really good team on the road or they're just getting blown out on the road too. So um, I think they are one of the teams that very, very different home road splits in just terms of their performance. I don't know if the, the records back that up as much, but that's what I'm seeing with the eye test. And I think they need to figure out their hierarchy between Ingram and Zion because those are two things that will dis- decide their performance in the playoffs. I think that's what's good about the two teams we talked about before. There's a clear hierarchy. I think Paolo and then it's Franz and then it's Donovan Mitchell and then everyone else on the Cavs. Um, I think that's one thing that any good team should have is that hierarchy figured out. It does bother me how you're right. There's those moments when Zion doesn't is clearly not wanting to play. Is not is clearly just not paying attention. Um, but one thing you did bring up is I like how. It feels like everyone is okay giving up the ball. Like everyone's okay just like defaulting to the player next to them. I mean, Ingram is the best. I mean, is the number the the top assist uh, top assist man on this team. He averages almost six assists a game. Um, for me, it is this offense, this defense. There, I don't have any worries about this team's defense outside of Zion. I mean, they're like I said, seventh in defensive rating. It is the late-game offense. It is their ability to close out games. That worries me. It reminds me of the Celtics like two or three years ago when they were up. Like It felt like when they were still up 15, the game was not over. And that's what it feels like with this Pelicans team. Um, I feel like they've at least had two or three games where they've blown 20-point leads um, this year. And so it it boggles my mind uh, that they're like this. 
the other thing is injuries have continuously over the past few years killed this team. Dyson Daniels went out with a torn meniscus right before the All-Star break, which definitely hurts them. Um, as he's been a, I mean, a good player for you. I mean, for this team, he's been a bench guard that has been able to create for others. He's been a great defender. Um, not like you're asking him to score all that much, but even still, he's been just super important to what this team has been this year. But like I said, one of this this team's strengths is their depth, and it's crazy because you look at their roster. One of the guys you brought up a few weeks ago, Jordan Hawkins, it's hard for him to get on the court. Um, and it's because there's so many guys in front of him. This Dyson Daniels injury might help him. I like to see him a little bit more efficient from the field. He's 40% from the field. And I say that understanding that he takes seven shots a game, five of them are three-point shots. So he's 38% from three. Consistency and efficiency is the name of the game for this team that I would like to see better. And also one thing, again, a consistent thing that we've talked about these three teams, they don't shoot a lot of threes, and that's what hurts. Another team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes, they're bottom half in the league in three-point attempts. So I uh, would just like to see more from them uh, as well. But, yeah, that's that's there's, there's some issues or some worries that I have for this team. But the thing that really I hold on to is the fact that they have six different guys averaging double digits this year which proves that they can have a bunch of different guys go off in a different game. Yep. I think they do shoot the three really, really well. It's, it is odd that they don't do it as much. I think that is right. largely because of Ingram and Zion being your two best players. Like I think everybody else on the floor does not hesitate and have an issue with shooting the three. I think that's just a nature of Ingram is a mid range guy at heart. That's where he wants to live and Zion is in the paint, not taking threes. So I think that's a little bit of that. Uh, like even yeah, Valanchunas will take a, a decent amount of threes. To back up our point about, you know, just being kind of worried about them closing games. They're the number two team in the first half in margin, how much they're leading or trailing at half. Number two team behind the Boston Celtics. In the second half, they're 20th. They have a negative 1.1 point margin. Uh, one of the more drastic swings I have seen. Wow. I mean, Boston at number one in first half is number four in the second half. Now, obviously, they're the best team in the NBA record-wise, so that's that's not going to be surprising. Minnesota, number one in the second half uh, at four plus 4.1, and they are number five in the first half. Like, uh, many teams are just kind of living, living at the same spot half to half. New Orleans is not one of those teams, um, especially at home. They will, they will blow teams out at home, and typically they will hang on. On the road, we saw it against the Celtics uh, at yeah. Boston. Played their asses off. How much were they up in the first half? Like or, 24, 25. Yeah, they lost that game. Like crazy stuff. So that that's a red flag. Uh, you know, bet bet the New Orleans Pelicans first half spreads to the Cal from home. But it's, it's tough trusting them full game. And it, I think that comes down to who they trust. Uh, how they get into their offense in late game scenarios. It seems an obvious answer to make it Ingram, uh, but I, I just don't think they're hundred percent there yet. And and those other guys, as good as they are from a depth perspective, Herb, Trey Murphy, Valanciunas, outside of McCollum, you know those guys aren't really creators. So it's it's just it's a little tough. It is interesting as well just to see because. I think this is very 
it's you're right. It's Ingram and and Zion as like your two guys you'd probably think the ball should be in the hands of. And I feel like most of the time it ends up in CJ's hands. Like I feel like CJ's taking a lot of shots at the end of the games too, which he's proven in the past so he can do it, and he's pretty darn efficient this year. I mean, and the the difference is like you don't see that level of aggressiveness from Zion in the second half because this guy gets so fatigued in the first half. And that's what, like, it sucks. It sucks to watch because that's what conflicts them and hurts them in the second half is the stamina that Zion has sometimes. And so it feels like, yes, Ingram should be the one that's handling the ball second half of the game. And he usually is. It's him and McCollum. But it's hard for him, I feel like, to get in a groove when Zion is going in the first half most often. And and it feels like he has to play catch-up in the second half. And so... I don't know if, and maybe I read into that wrong, and maybe I just I've seen the games that it feels like that, but I don't know. It feels like there are games when it's like Ingram is making up for what Zion didn't, isn't doing in the second half. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be prove it time for them coming down the stretch. I, I they're the West is tight. Um, there is no breathing room practically between anybody from four and nine right now in the West. And I think even the Warriors at 10 right now have a a potential to jump up. So um, it's just, it's just, it's going to be interesting for the Pelicans. Uh, Is this their ceiling for you? This like five spot? I I think so. I I haven't seen what I wanted to see from Zion to make their ceiling higher. I mean, maybe the seeding changes. I, I do think that top four seems pretty impenetrable right now. Uh, with the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Thunder, and the Wolves. I, I think those are the top four teams in the West with a bullet. Yeah. Um, I mean, things could get weird regular season-wise, but I, I think those remain the top four teams in the playoffs. I don't see the Pelicans beating those teams in a series. I think they yeah. take them deep. Uh, they could potentially... I mean, they've played all of those teams well in spots, but it's just... I just don't think there's enough consistency late game and with your number one guys compared to those, those teams. That's what's different to me is that like, while I want to say that this team has a few guys I can cl- uh, trust in clutch moments, it feels like there's times when I'm like, can I actually trust Ingram? It feels like there's, I feel like there's a level of like distrust there with Ingram a little bit. Cause I wanted, I, he's a good Great score. One of the best scores we have in the NBA. You're right. He's one of the best mid-range guys. Uh, just He can get a shot over anyone. He's very yeah. – he reminds me a lot of DeRozan a little bit um, and just like his ability to make any shot in the mid-range. The it release just, point's so high for both of them too. Like they shoots it right up here, <laughs> right yeah, by his it, head. It's crazy. But it feels like – I don't know. I feel like he's made a few game winners as is every like top player in the NBA. It just feels like more often than not, it's not going in with him. It, or it more more likely the ball is not in his hands. It feels like the ball – and that maybe that's more the issue. The ball is not in his hands until like the last second, and that's what sucks. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's, that's something That's something that's on my mind. Um, and I think, like you said, I think this is kind of their ceiling for me too. And I think they could fall as far as to the play-in. Um, that's how close this like Western conference is outside of that top four. Like you said, like there's six games between the five and 10 seed right now. That's crazy. One in six in games of three points or less. 
right now for the Pelicans. It's a small sample. It's a tight game. A lot of that's luck, but it is it is a pretty scary number for a team of their caliber. I mean, there's not not a team even. I guess the Bulls would be another team that's like in the playoff picture with as bad of a record. So I don't think you want to be the Bulls company for the Pelicans. No, 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 no. Um, the final team we wanted to talk about tonight, the team that's been near and dear to our hearts since we started this podcast, the Sacramento Kings. I didn't like the connotation Aaron texted me about the Kings. Uh, he said, let's talk about them. And then I looked at their stats, and I'm like, damn, he's right. Because this team has the eighth hardest schedule left in the NBA. They've got some real tough games against some real great teams to end the year. And injury luck continues to be their greatest asset, truthfully. It feels like they haven't missed guys all I mean the I mean at all over the past two years. I mean, you until last year when Fox got hurt in the playoffs, um, and he's missed a few games this year. Trey Lyles has been like their one guy who's missed games, fair enough. And Vizankov has missed a few games recently. But when it comes to their starting lineup, it feels like that starting lineup has been there without the, and even with the interchanging pieces. Yep. What has hurt and what, again, sorry, let me start here. Another team that is a two man game that is very impressive when they're working well. It's Fox and Sabonis. It is very impressive. Sabonis leading this team in assists, and he's the league leader in rebounds. Um, and he's doing this while averaging also 20 points a game, which it's been better. I realized after our last podcast, we should really like not talk about Sabonis not being aggressive on offense because he's been really good at being aggressive on yeah. offense late. Him and Fox have one of the best two-man games in the NBA, at least top five, it feels like to me. Still behind your guy and Euro Kitchen Murray, but still it's been very impressive to watch these two play together. And as well as Fox, as as Fox increases his threes, the issue for me is how just C plus B minus this team is at everything. Whether That's it's three right. point, it's like they they take a lot of its shots. They take a lot of shots, but they just sit in that like eleven to fifteen range in their percentages. Um, they don't go to the free throw line that much, and when they do, they don't make them. It sucks to watch it. And then finally, they do not create turnovers on defense for easy buckets, and it it's it's rough to watch. Talk to me, Aaron. <laughs> it just I think the biggest thing is their offense isn't as dynamic. And that's yeah. with that's with Sabonis playing out of his mind. Like we're getting peak Sabonis right now, and they're middle of the pack offensively in efficiency. They were yeah. the, the most efficient offense last year in the NBA. The most efficient. Great. And I would like look back at the the pace stats and they're actually playing faster this year somehow. It doesn't feel like it because <laughs> yeah. um, it felt like in that Warrior series, they must have just ticked it up so much because the Warriors played at the fastest pace in the NBA and yeah. they have for a long time been up up in that range. And so the, the Kings are just matching them and it makes sense because Mike Brown came from most recently, that Steve Kerr coaching bench, right? So yeah. he knew what they had to do, had to do to match the Warriors, but they just haven't been efficient. They haven't been able to warrant playing at that pace. They haven't been able to knock down the shots like they have been. Um, and you know, and that's again with 
Sabonis playing out of his mind, and we need to give him the credit because I I do agree he has been more aggressive. We we knew he had this in him, but he's just been so much more consistent with all of it. Um, and maybe it's health. I, I you know we we were complaining about that at the end of last year, and he clearly wasn't healthy. And in the playoffs, he got hurt again, thanks to the number one assassin of the NBA, Draymond Green. So it's 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 you know not for lack of. DeMontis Simone's not trying. I think Fox has been good, but you're right. He's been in and out. Um, it's shocking, honestly. He's played 48. It's I felt like he missed more than that. Yeah. But th- this team is just mediocre. And they have they have a tough schedule coming up. And they are still, at, at their core, very young and very inexperienced. Like, they've had one playoff series together. That's not a lot compared to the teams that are around them. Uh, with the Warriors and the Lakers uh, and it, teams they might be going up against in the playoffs. I mean, even the Mavs, I, I know they have a young core, but you got the best player in the floor with Luka, and uh, when he's right, Kyrie is one of the most talented basketball players in the NBA, and they have more size than the Kings. That's the other thing. The Kings are small. Uh, so I don't know. It just it just seems like they're not able to cover the holes like they were last year uh, with the great offense because it just it just isn't there. Well, and yeah, like you said, that offense is, while it's great in pace, it feels like it's still that not that top level of efficiency as we were seeing last year. It hurts that, that that's the case because we both love this team a lot, and there's a lot of guys yeah. to love on this team. I mean, what you hit on was right, though. There are some, like, holes in this team. I feel like that two-guard spot is just like that Kevin Herter, Malik Monk spot has been kind of just – patched together all year because Herter went through a real rough stretch to start the season. He's gotten a little better recently. He's been a little bit more efficient recently. But even still, you're you're working with two very bad defenders, and it hurts um, this team a lot. And so that's what worries me just as this season goes on um, is the fact that one Sabonis isn't a rim protector – and then you already have a spot on defense where you're just already calling it a loss. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, Sabonis competes defensively. I think he sees physical enough when it matters. But yeah, it's just the bodies behind him. I, I do like Trey Lyles offensively, but he's just, he's not the guy defensively. I think they might use JaVale McGee more uh, come playoff time, which is just, again, it's JaVale McGee. Uh, Alex Len, you know, I just, he hasn't really been a part of the rotation here. So it's, it's rough. I, I think there's a possibility they actually dismiss the playoffs entirely, to be honest. I, I think, wow, I mean, wait, really? I think they're in the play in, and I think, I think there's a possibility they, they miss. I, I think the Lakers are starting to play better, and I like them in a one game scenario against the Kings a lot. Um, uh, I like the Warriors just owning the Kings <laughs> facts. Yeah. Like that's that's a possibility. And I think Mavs Kings is just offense offense. And the Mavs have had a better offense this year and probably will going forward. So I, I just don't know if they have a an out against the teams that they currently are in the play in. The Mavericks one game would be interesting. Just really would. Cause... Oh, it'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, I'd still take the Mavs, but. Oh, sure, because who are the Kings going to throw on Luka? You're going to throw Keegan Murray probably on him? I mean, but even still, it's – I then flip it around. 
I don't think there's anyone on the Mavs I trust to guard both Fox and Sabonis. You could yeah, say I think now with wow, well, now with Gafford, I like having Gafford Ooh, and Lively call. to throw at Sabonis. Um, at least I feel like Lively. I think Sabonis is too smart for Lively, but Gafford still has this strength and a little bit of. Uh, there's a little bit more length to him than there is to Lively, and of course a little mm-hmm. bit more experience, but. I think Sabonis is still one of the smartest guys. I mean, against even good defenders, but I think Gafford is a tough, tough fight. And the Mavs can just shoot him off the floor. I mean, even the Kings have good shooters on their team. We've talked about they haven't shot the ball well, but the Mavs just take so many more threes. They they take ten more threes a game, so it it will become a three point shooting variance game, and it will depend on who who has home court in that game. Uh, but I, I I think I think it's possible. I mean, they're getting two to more than two to one odds right now to miss the playoffs. I think that's a I think that's a valuable bet. Uh, I, I if I had to pick, I would pick the Lakers over them, and I think that's a tough game. That's probably an unpopular pick right now, but I would take the Lakers. And then the Warriors is one where I feel less comfortable with. But there's just a lot a lot of history. And then again, you're talking one game. We've seen it before uh, with Steph Curry in a one game scenario. So. Uh, you can't feel great about that <laughs> if you're a Kings fan. No. The the thing that really kicks it into is the fact that, like I said, the Kings have one of the hardest schedules left in the year. It makes it a little, it makes it a little bit more difficult just to even talk about it. Um, take, talk about them even getting higher in the ranking, uh, higher in the standings. Um, Golden State kind of lucked out. With where they're at, they got the twenty fifth. I mean, twenty fifth hardest schedule. So what, six easiest schedule left? But Lakers are still in that top ten when it comes to the difficulty level. Um, and honestly, like, I mean, New Orleans sits at twelve. But the, yeah, I think you're right though, and I think it's me wanting to try to be like a half Kings fan here and say that Mavericks game would probably be their best chance to get it. I think that's the truth of it all. I think the Lakers just have the right amount of guys to throw at Sabonis. There's no one that's stopping Fox, but on the other end, who's stopping LeBron and who's stopping AD. And then you're right. Warriors, there's a lot of history there. What I worry about is them, the amount of games they're going to have to play come down the stretch of the season. Cause that, I guess it is one game different, but it feels like the Warriors just have more games coming, but I don't know. It's just one game different because I can't read or do math. Well, and the Warriors have been sprinting. It felt like for the last couple of weeks just to get back to five hundred. And now the All Star break was there. perfect. Yeah, I mean, perfectly time All Star weekend because they have just been working their asses off to get back to this point where they're back in the playoff picture, and they've done it successfully. Um, you know, eight and two in their last ten here. Great. I mean, we thought a lot of people thought their season were dead. I think. I think we're still overreacting a little on the Warriors, I will say. Um, but in your last game of the regular season, in first Clay's first game coming off the bench, I think we were recording that night. We were. <laughs> uh, Clay Someone dropped- was not up for the idea that Clay was Clay was going to be okay coming off the bench. Uh, I don't remember who of these two hosts was saying that. Yeah, well, Clay Clay clearly was okay. Uh, so <laughs> you know, if you're if you're getting that Clay, it's a different story. But I, I you know. A committed let's, Clay let's Thompson is important as as a game changer, especially when he throws up thirty five points off the bench. <laughs> yeah, and Draymond, even crazy enough, has been shooting the ball better. And, and he's shooting the ball. He's shooting the ball, which is different. Yeah, their guys are playing better, but it, I I think we're being a little too, um, you know, uh, nice to the Warriors right now. I think we need to see it still. 
Yeah. But I think the Lakers are playing better, and I think that's real. And they, they don't have a necessarily easy schedule down the stretch, so we'll see how and they play. And with LeBron being hurt, too, it feels yeah. like there's something going on there, too. But it also might be LeBron like saying, hey, I'm hurt, so that way he'd be well-rested for the end of the year. Yeah, and there's always an excuse, too. You know, who knows? Um, if they start playing poorly, he can just say he was hurt. So, Yeah, him and Doc Rivers, just guys who just want to make excuses. Um God, I don't want to get into the whole triangle of Doc Rivers, J.J. Redick, Pat Beverly. Get that off my phone. I can't did you, stand it. Did you see my tweet uh, earlier today? No. About Pat Beverly? It was something about some uh, – Pat Beverly had said uh, the Sixers trading away means they don't want to win. I had said, yeah, that's totally right. I pulled up and I took a screenshot of his uh, of his basketball reference page. I totally forgot that Pat Beverly is, is the – is the embodiment of winning NBA titles with his zero NBA finals wins. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because this guy's never made, even made a finals. It's, yeah. it's hilarious to me that this guy thinks his exact quote was, if you want to win, you don't trade Pat. You don't trade Pat Bev. I would almost bet. I would almost say the differently. I'd say, if you want to win, trade Pat Beverly. <laughs> There's a reason we have the Pat Bev or cat and, Pat and cat class, Mitch. It, you're absolutely damn right, which is why I'm about the box. If you want to win playing games, go to your guy. Pat and cat LLC. Yes, sir. Um, well, thank you guys for listening. Um, hope you all enjoyed this little different story. We're going to, we're also uh, just a little preview for what we're also working behind the scenes. We're working with our Johnson brothers on a new little uh new little like segment they'll be working on a little different kind of podcast series series thank you i can't think of the word new little series we're gonna be talking about that's uh we'll 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 be announcing that soon um but just wanted to keep your guys is i just give you a little uh foreshadowing of that um but thank you guys for listening go celtics go nuggets and then go magic go calves Go Pelicans and go Kings. I think that's way too many goes, but we're going to just call it that. Thanks, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of your week.